This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about the great French wine blight. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And this is an episode we have been talking about this topic since the very first episode we ever did. Oh, yeah. On sparkling wine, which you can see. Uh, also give us forgiveness because it was our first episode, but yes. Uh-huh. We were <laughs> still learning, still learning how to do this. But yeah, yeah, we did. We chose sparkling wine as our kind of introductory, celebratory, we're in over our heads already topic. Uh-huh. Um, oh, yeah. And, <laughs> yep. and um, but we've, but we've brought it up in numerous other episodes. Yes. Uh, like we brought it up in our rosé episode, various other wine episodes. I think we brought it up in our absinthe episode uh, and then some beer episodes as well. Because essentially, like when the wine industry was suffering, people were turning in all of these different ways. <laughs> they were pivoting like, oh, well, we could go to beer then or we could do yeah. absinthe. Or, yeah, there's no wine. Do? So therefore, what else can we drink? Literally anything. Yes. OK, let's go. Yeah. Yes. I think we might have even mentioned it in our whiskey and bourbon episodes. Certainly Um, in our cocktail episodes, I think. There's a few cocktails that were inspired by the fact that, like, folks in uh, New Orleans specifically couldn't get a hold of French wine at the same rates that they were used to. So, yes. So, basically, what we're saying is this whole thing had a huge impact 
on the beverage industry. And we have mentioned it quite a lot because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so, right. We just wanted to do a full episode on what exactly went down during all of that. Because it's a it's a fun is the wrong word. It's a good story. Yeah. (laughs) That was me very, very much like struggling with the right terminology for it. (laughs) It's entertaining, but that sounds so crass because it is sad. (laughs) Yeah. Like like a lot of people lost their livelihood. Uh, it yeah. was extremely destructive for everyone involved in the wine industry at the time um, mm-hmm. in France, certainly. And it was really scary for a number of people in other places. So, yeah. woo, <laughs> um, woo. <laughs> not not woo, but uh, but a, but but an important story to tell. Indeed, and I think this brings us to our question. I would say it does. Okay. The Great French Wine Plight. What was it? Well, uh, the French Wine Blight, or Wine Plague, as it's sometimes called, uh, is an event that spanned the mid to late 1800s and destroyed just a lot of France's vineyards, uh, causing these quakes and schisms in the local and global wine industry that have had lasting effects to today. Uh, France's wine industry at the time was the largest in the world, and that changed over the course of a decade. Um, Just a really confusing and wild and disruptive event. Um, It's the agricultural equivalent of, like, if Taiwan suddenly flipped from being the biggest producer to the biggest consumer of microchips in a decade, or if Hollywood just shut down over the span of 10 years, and like the rest of the world had to fill in the demand for TV and film creation. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was huge. <laughs> it was huge. Yeah. Um, and for as big as it was, the cause of this blight was a number of microscopic and near microscopic organisms, um, starting with a tiny insect, a, uh, a relative of aphids, commonly called grape phylloxera. Um, or phyloxera. I've heard it pronounced a number of different ways. We're just going to muddle through it. Yeah. But these pests uh, uh, eat and burrow in grapevine roots and leaves. And uh, though, especially when they attack the roots, this can lead to uh, malnourishment in the plant. An infestation of the insects most often kills via secondary infection. Um, the, The wounds that the bugs make open the plant up to harmful bacteria and fungi. Um, the leaves and vines will then wither and die and you'll pull up a rotted root and you might not even see any insects on there because at that point they've moved on to a healthy plant. Makes me sad. Like sad and kind of itchy. Like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, Okay, so that that insect, um, wee little like like yellowish green kind of thing, and they're pretty weird. By which I mean they have a complex life cycle that can include life above and below ground. They can reproduce sexually and asexually. They can be either crawlers or flyers or like gliders. Really, they can't really like flap their wings. They don't have the power for it. But at any rate, um, there's a lot going on with them, and they're really adaptable, which is part of the problem um, uh, for us. Anyway, it's pretty great for them. Um, okay, so if they live below ground, um, they feed and lay eggs in a vine's 
roots. If they live above ground, they feed and or lay eggs, not necessarily both, um, in the plant's bark and leaves. I say not necessarily both because the uh, uh, sexual variety of this creature doesn't have a digestive system. It, it's only there to mate and lay eggs. There's no feeding at that point. Okay. Like I like I said, heckin' strange. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, so okay, they they kind of like nest in the tissue of the plant, which will cause the formation of a scabby little plant node called a gall. Um, and when there's too many of them infesting one plant, they can either uh, burrow or crawl or glide to a new plant. And furthermore, um, these changes in their life cycle uh, can be prompted by prompted and determined by stuff like population density and the season. So like if it's winter, they might go below ground. If it's summer, they might go above ground. If there's too many of them, they might decide to have wings and go fly to a new plant. It's very adaptable, very problematic. Um, and European wine grapes are just super susceptible to this pest. Um, the, the pest can feed on its large roots, which is a large problem. Um, some American species are only a little susceptible, like the bugs will only feed on smaller root offshoots or on leaves, but not really cause deadly damage. And other American species are resistant to damage from the pests, as they can um, patch up their wounds and thus prevent that secondary infection from happening. And the the only real solution, um, if you're working with a susceptible plant, is to graft your vines onto resistant rootstocks and or prevent infection with um, isolation and like well-timed insecticides. Because these bugs grow to maturity fast and they can produce hundreds of eggs each. Um, and multiple generations can happen within a single season. So if you find an infestation in vulnerable vines, it's too late. If you can see them, it is too late, and they will kill your vines within a few years. Terrifying. It is. It is. And they don't really have any natural predators. Like, ugh, gnarly. Very gnarly. Uh, well, what about the nutrition? <laughs> Um, I haven't read anything about people eating this wine blight or these <laughs> insects. In fact, it led to people consuming less of a thing rather than more. So, yeah, don't don't eat blight. Again, I feel like there's some supervillain uh, that's separate, <laughs> but for yes, I would say generally as a general rule. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. If you're if you're not a character in Neil Gaiman's American Gods, don't don't <laughs> eat don't eat any form of blight. Probably. Yeah. I think that's safe to say. I think that's good. <laughs> All right, we've covered our asses now. All Great, right. perfect. <laughs> mm -hmm. We do have some numbers for you. A couple, yeah. Um. Okay, so to to give you an understanding of the scale here. Over the course of 40 years, from 1860 to 1900, phylloxera and those secondary bacterial and fungal infections destroyed two-thirds of all European wine grape vineyards throughout Europe. Yeah, 
Yeah, and we're going to get into some more numbers in the history bit. Mm -hmm. But as a bit of a teaser, uh, today the French wine industry turns out about 40 billion bottles of wine per year. And it's speculated that a majority of that wine comes from American rootstocks because of the French wine blight. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um... It is it is a it is a wild story and we are going to get into the history of that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? Time for chill vibes. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, 
Uh, lately, we have been speaking about Americanized Google results that we get when we uh-huh. search topics. Well, I got a bunch of articles <laughs> that I'm sure would not go over well in France about this topic, <laughs> um, about how such and such American state saved the wine industry, the French wine industry particularly, and in this case, Missouri and Texas were the big ones, the big states in question. Not that they're necessarily wrong. More on that in a second. But uh-huh. I, I was, when I was reading these, I was like, You're like, hmm, those are, those are bold statements from yes. American publications. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, extremely briefly, and again, we have talked about this in past episodes, but We'll do a little recap here. The ancient Romans introduced wine grapes to France, and colonists in North America tried to do the same thing here in the 15 and 1600s, as in they tried to introduce Mm -hmm. these European grapevines to North America. Um, A 1619 decree out of Virginia required every male household in the state plant 10 European vines for winemaking purposes. So it was kind of a, a big deal. Um... Thomas Jefferson, that guy, dedicated 2,000 acres of land to European wine grape cultivation and hired an Italian viticulturist to run it. But uh, the land produced no American wine while Jefferson was alive. Yeah, it uh, it typically takes um, a, a decade or two to really get a, a vineyard producing um, a, a quality or an amount even of, of grapes that are can be used to to make any amount of wine. Um, also, um, uh, I wanted to put in here that like for as diverse as European wines are, and they certainly are, we talk about it all the time and could certainly talk about it way more. Um, the, the species that they are all from, um, Vinus vinifera, is like low-key a monoculture. Um, that has really been um, specialized, which is great, but it's been specialized in a relatively narrow way. That has made it, as we have talked about with other monocultures and clonal plants in the past, um, susceptible to disease. Um, We almost ran a classic about bananas this week, and I was like, that's too many clonal (laughs) monocultures. (laughs) Too many, too many for this week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yes, so that with with that in mind, uh, back to back to wine. Yes. Okay. So in North America, this difficulty of growing these European of these European vines was essentially like how it went at first. Um, Many of these European grapes didn't make it in the U.S. They were victim to disease or parasites. So colonists started experimenting with local grapes. And from this, they were able to make wine, but the consensus was it just wasn't the same quality as the wine Europe produced, and perhaps specifically the wine France produced. Mm -hmm. Um, So American grape growers grafted European grapes onto American roots in order to provide some protection from local diseases and parasites while still making those prized European-style wines. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. But back to France. 
By the 19th century, France had already solidified itself as one of the top dogs of the wine industry. Uh, They had many of the most respected vineyards. They had many of the most respected wines and grapes. It was a huge part of their industry and culture, and they had a reputation for it. Uh, They were one of the world's largest wine producers. And according to some sources, wine sales accounted for 15% of France's federal tax revenue at the time. Okay. okay. So pretty big, pretty big. Uh, But in the mid-1800s, the great French wine blight changed the industry forever. Okay, so here's what happened. Um, As the French wine industry and the global wine industry at large continued to grow during the 18th and 19th centuries, France really wanted to maintain their dominance. Um, so to that end, they imported American grapevines. Uh, the U.S. had been importing French grapevines for a while at the time. Uh, so they were basically like, we want to be able to offer whatever America's doing. Even if we think it's less quality, we want to be able to do it too. Uh, so they brought in these vines. Uh, the development of steam-powered engines made transportation faster than ever. And a lot of experimentation was going on in the wine world. So they were able to transport these vines in a way they hadn't been able to before. So France is bringing in these new grapevines. They have the technology to do it. They're experimenting. Mm -hmm. They didn't notice that the imported U.S. vines came with a parasitic insect. And by the 1860s, people started documenting a, quote, mysterious disease that was decimating whole vineyards and killing grapevines. And it would start with just like a vine or two turning yellow and drooping, but then spread so quickly. Within two years of that, diseased vines would have spread and died at the root. So it just, like you said, Lauren, at the top, like by the time you realized you had a problem, it was too late. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Wine production in France plummeted. Almost half of France's vineyards would go on to be destroyed. And according to Christy Campbell in her 2004 work, Phylloxera, How Wine Was Saved the World, quote, By 1884, 2.5 million acres of France's vineyards had been destroyed and 1.5 million acres were in the grip of the parasite. Wow. Yeah, it's so wild. Like the first, the first reports were from like, 1864 to 1866, um, kind of down in southern France in the Rhone, and and it was out of control a couple years later. Yes. Uh, by 1868, scientists were sent in to investigate, and they discovered these small insects on healthy plants that killed off the vines by eating at the roots. Here's an excerpt from one of the scientists at the time. Loops were trained with care upon the roots of uprooted vines, but there was no rot, no trace of cryptogams. But suddenly, under the magnifying lens of the instrument, appeared an insect, a plant louse of yellowish color, tight on the wood, sucking the sap. One looked more attentively. It is not one, it is not ten, but hundreds, thousands of the lice that one perceived, all in various stages of development. They are everywhere. And they were. Um, This blight spread up um, from Provence through Bordeaux by 1869 and infected 60% of Bordeaux's grapes. Yeah. Um, And obviously people were panicked about this. Um, And at first there was a lot of finger pointing and argument. 
Uh, the perceived superior wine industry of northern France claimed that it was really the fault of the subpar, in their opinion. Southern French vines, it was all on them. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, so part of the issue was that although this three-dude commission um, that was sent out to investigate all this was, like, really sure that it was this microscopic insect that was at fault, A, none of those dudes were entomologists. So the entomology community was all like, aphids aren't that destructive. What are you talking about? You you don't know from aphids. Um, and then B, the wider scientific community at the time was kind of like, okay, we understand from, you know, common knowledge, from the theory of humors that we all accept, um, and, you know, from common knowledge of the balance of humors, that only when beings are imbalanced and weak do they get sick. And therefore, there must be something weakening the vines and allowing this pest, which was clearly previously present but unharmful, to do damage. And oh. <laughs> and it's not it, it's 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 not that no one I mean you know like like we they were right on the verge they were right on the verge mm -hmm. of um of scientific discovery uh, along the lines of Pasteur and and other people working in the field figuring out what microbes were and how they affect a lot of stuff and how disease works and how it's not passed by harmful vapors in the air um but by living beings that can you know uh cause cause infection yeah but but we weren't quite there yet no and so there was a whole lot there's just a whole lot i've i've read about it as being like like watching the protagonists in a horror movie like argue about which way to run yeah. while the killer is sneaking up behind them like yes <laughs> or like in jurassic park you know or you're looking at the one raptor. Yeah, but then there's seven behind the you. Ah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep, exactly like raptors. <laughs> exactly like raptors. Uh, however, uh, speaking of being on the edge and entomology, the bugs were eventually identified as phylloxera, which were an import from America. However... They weren't really a problem in the United States uh, because they mostly just stuck to the leaves of grapevines in the United States, uh, leaves that didn't exist on a lot of French vines. And this whole thing was discovered thanks to the help of an American entomologist out of Missouri in 1870. And that's part of why Missouri is like, we saved the French yeah. wine industry. Also, Missouri rootstocks were used in, in, in a lot of this We'll get into that more later. But yeah, okay. this is one of their first claims. Yeah. Um, after more time passed, experts surmised that these parasitic aphid-like bugs preferred American grapevine leaves and French grapevines roots, which, of course, the roots, that, that was much more damaging for the plant if they went mm -hmm. for that. Uh, French winemakers tried all kinds of things to deal with this. They tried flooding vineyards moving locations, but none of their solutions were ideal. Yeah. They named this this species of vine-eating uh, phylloxera uh, P. vasterix, um, uh, the devastator. Oof. Oof. 
giving me chills. Um, <laughs> yes, and by this point, the French government was desperate for a solution, and they offered a reward to anyone who could come up with a working insecticide, uh, their reward being 30,000 francs. Um, they received all kinds of suggestions, including goat and human urine separately, um, and the toxic chemical carbon disulfide that was subsidized by one rail company to make up for the lost wine revenue uh, and sometimes was voted on by winemakers in certain places on whether they thought they should use it or not. Yeah, there was a little bit of a separation there between um, uh, this solution and other solutions. And part of the insistence on a pesticide as a solution came from this uh, prior blight, a fungal blight being cured with uh, with chemicals in the 1850s. So historians think there was a, a notion that like chemistry would win again, <laughs> mm-hmm. e- even though it was extremely expensive and like that stuff will explode. So <laughs> it's not ideal. No. It is not ideal. No. Uh, And yeah, when nothing came of these, the solutions that the French government solicited by the 1890s, winemakers in France pivoted to the arduous and long process of creating hybrid vines that could resist these parasites, but could still produce high quality and delicious wine, uh, vines that were easily grown in French soil. French winemakers pursued a couple of methods like creating full-blown hybrids and also grafting French vines onto American roots, these roots being from places like Missouri and Texas. Though uh, they didn't find success in this method at first, and 700,000 grafted grapevines died. Whew. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, effects of this were huge and multitudinous, and lasting. Uh, to this day, the acreage of vines in France is only about a third of what it was at its peak in the middle of all of this in 1874. Um, like during the 1880s, France flipped from being the biggest wine exporter in the world to being the biggest importer, creating this huge market for wines produced elsewhere. Um, like Spain's land use for vineyards increased 40% from the 1860s to the 1880s. Um, It created a boom and then a bust in winemaking in French-controlled North Africa. Um, And uh, though you could argue that some of these changes would have happened anyway due to like the pressures of machination uh, and the Industrial Revolution, um, French varietals and individual vines were separated and rowed and trellised and refined. Um, some regions drastically changed what they grew and and pretty much everywhere changed how they grew it. Um, a number of varietals were given up forever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and France was not the only place affected by phylloxera. Um, and this was not the only time it wreaked havoc at all. Oh, it, no. No. It did cause a lot of damage to California's vineyards in 1874 and then again in the 1980s when it caused California's wine industry about $1 billion in damage. Um, Other parts of Europe, as well as South Africa, New Zealand, and Australia, dealt with phylloxera as well. In 1979, the European Union adopted France's ban on hybrid wines, which were viewed as the realm of cheap wine production outside of Europe. However, this specifically excludes American roots, because if it didn't, most French wines would be banned because of this whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. 
Interestingly, though, some French grapevines survived this blight, uh, and the reason is unknown, and these wines are highly sought after, like, really expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we still don't know how to get rid of phylloxera entirely or why some roots seem resistant to it, so research is ongoing. Mm-hmm. And speaking of, in 2020... New research sequenced the genome of the phylloxera in question, along with other related ones. And some in the wine business are trying to locate the exact American rootstocks used in grafting French grapevines during the great wine blight. It's really interesting. Um, it's one of those things that I personally find very enjoyable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it just had this huge impact. Oh. <laughs> I, like, I knew it did. We've been talking about it since the very beginning, but... Yeah, no, but when you really read about it, it's it's so stark, and it happened so fast. I mean, I know that, mm-hmm. like, four decades isn't, like, so, so, so fast, but... Um, it's pretty fast. It's yeah. pretty quick to completely change an industry that had been growing for a couple thousand years. Yeah, and that we talk about it in episodes like Absent. Like, yeah. it had a huge impact. Yeah. And the fact that we still are kind of like, (laughs) that's wild to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Really weird, gross little bugs. Really. (laughs) The descriptions of them are like, I mean, they're gnarly, but they're pretty, I'm glad they wrote these very intense descriptions. Yeah. I'm usually pretty into insects, but like swarming insects really bother me on like Mm. an emotional level. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh man, tiny, tiny lots of insects are not my, not my friends. Yeah. Yeah. I was complaining to you recently about how I went from two fruit flies to like 40 in one day and that was too much for me. Um, oh no, so it's this. terrible, right? Yeah. No, don't mm. want it. Don't like it. Uh-uh. Yeah. Mm-mm. If it's already too late by the time I see a swarm, uh, I right? don't like this at all. No. No. Oh. Well. Well, <laughs> I guess that's what we have to say about this for now. <laughs> I guess it is. Um, we, we do have some listener mail for you, though, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. Oh, yeah. 
And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Uh, thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with the snow. snow. Swarm. No, no. No, indeed. No. <laughs> it's the right reaction. <laughs> um, Megan wrote, I wanted to share a memory of summer days at my grandmother's house where she often had a big pot of ham and veggies on the stove. It never made sense to me why she cooked this in the summer since they didn't have AC and she would let it cook for a while. But I see now it was to enjoy the fresh green beans. I also hated the smell and texture of the mushy green beans that ruined everything else, in my opinion, at the time. As an adult, I often make this dish to remember my grandmother, and it always makes me feel so comforted. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we say it all the time. That's the power of these dishes where you can connect to people over time through these memories. Um, Yeah, it's just very sweet, and I, I don't know. Yeah, I still haven't procured a ham hock, so <laughs> we can help. Th- we can make this happen, Lauren. We can okay, we okay, can do this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, Michael wrote, "I've been a longtime listener, but first time writer. I wanted to thank you for saving my butt with your Ongiri episode. You spoke about having musubi and Ongiri while waiting around while you were here in Hawaii, and later you talked about yaki onigiri." At the time I was listening to the episode, I was busy trying to create Spanish-Asian fusion handheld tapas-type dishes for an event for a hundred to raise funds for a nonprofit organization. The night was to be a Latin dance night, starting with cocktails and our Spanish-Asian tapas, and then going into a night of dancing. I had several dishes already, including a uh, Chinese white bao bun with crispy skin roast pork belly, done with a dry sherry and Spanish spices, instead of a xiaojing. Uh, rice wine and Chinese spices cooked in the Chinese technique with an adobo glaze 
and a lechon pickled uh, tomato onion garnish, as well as a Thai green curry empanada. But I needed something from local Hawaii Asian-influenced food culture that married well with Spanish cuisine. When you mentioned yaki onigiri, the inspiration hit me. Why not make an onigiri with paella ingredients and then use the yaki technique to replicate the crispy rice bottom from a paella pan? It would be a Spanish-Japanese fusion made with sticky Japanese rice cooked in saffron, chicken bone broth, and shrimp headstock. Stuffed into the center of the onigiri mold would be chicken, chorizo, shrimp, mussels, petite peas, roasted red peppers, onion, and garlic, prepared in advance, and then seared on a hot griddle just before serving. Annie and Lauren, it was an absolute hit, and I owe it to you. Once again, thank you for inspiring me and all the people out there you have touched over the years. Our event was a successful one, and I'm looking forward to more inspiration from you in the future. Oh my oh, goodness, that, that sounds, sounds amazing! So good. <laughs> that ah. sounds so good. All of that sounds so heckin' delicious. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. And pictures were involved, <sighs> listeners, and the pictures looked amazing. Ah. I want it all. I want yeah. it all. Yeah. And that's, oh my a, goodness. that's an amazing idea. Yeah. And also, thank you very much for shouting us out, but it sounds like you did a lot of the lifting. I mean, <laughs> it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we, we gave you, we gave you a little, a little seedlet and, yes. and, and you're the one who made it grow. Yes. And it sounds like it grew into something that is amazing and delicious. So lovely. So. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I still have a lot of I have a lot of onigiri to make, so it's possible I could try to I I don't think I could replicate it exactly, but I could try to do something <laughs> uh, close. Yeah. Hmm. You're you're like you're like some chorizo and shrimp broth away from <laughs> making a really decent go of it. Okay. I will accept a really decent go. Honestly, I'm happy to accept that. Uh, well, okay. Listeners, <laughs> thank you so much for writing to us, as always. Um, if you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SaverPod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! 
Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.